guys doing? Welcome to Cotton in the Rocking Ship. I am your host, Lennox Mars Jr. And I want to thank you all for always tuning in and listening to me. This is Season 1, Episode 23, and the name of this episode is called Duality. We are going to do another piece from the book, Cotton in the Rocket Ship. And for those listeners who are now tuning in, Cotton in the Rocket Ship is my life living in America from boyhood to manhood and how I saw race growing up in America. So one thing I'm going to do is talk to you about duality. And duality is a concept called the double consciousness, or some people say duality from W.E.B. Du Bois. And W.E.B. Du Bois, for those who do not know, is one of our first uh, North American sociologists and scholars. He was one of the great minds of the 20th century and you know even though say some people say he's the great african-american mind i think of the 21st century he's a great american thinker and i like to categorize him as such because he was one of the people who came up with the talented 10th and the talented 10th is basically a group of people who were able to become educated in receive some of the rewards of society and be the the guide, so to speak, of the masses. So this talented 10th would be the people who would be able to direct our people into the direction they need to be in order to be the most successful. It was a very good concept in theory, but in practice, um, it didn't. didn't have or didn't factor in greed or bribery and so I just have to make note of that but this piece is named after uh, the thought that I had and the position African Americans often face when they're in a professional role and especially dealing with their own So I'll go into this piece and then I have another piece that I want to share with you that didn't make the book, but it will chime in perfectly with this piece. And we will go first with duality. So I begin to say many students came into my office and they have failing grades. Their parents are incurring a lot of debt in order to give them an opportunity at life. As an administrator, you want to tell them the truth, but often you don't know how this is going to be received, so you're at risk and your livelihood would be in jeopardy. But a dialogue is necessary, but this is a dangerous balance. I want to tell you, life is not fair. I want to tell you, many people don't care. That many of us won't make it here. That this system will swallow you if you 
aren't prepared. But who am I to reveal this harsh reality? If you are destined to fly, I don't want to be your gravity. I don't want to be your ground. If everything around you is ocean, surely you will drown. Duality. Okay, so just going into that piece. Um, I was not a newly minted professional when I made this piece. I probably was two or three years in. But I do want to say that a lot of students would come to me and they would come to me last minute with their issues. So some of them were failing. Some of them were on academic warning and academic probation. And they would often come to me when there wasn't much I could give them. Um, Some of them did make it out. And some of them I was able to guide, but they made it so much harder on themselves because they didn't have the discipline necessary in order to to be successful. And it's it's not their fault, I should say. Partly their fault, but partly the organization or the structure's fault. And for me, I want to give them so much tough love, and I want to have or be the people that I had in my life where they would tell me if I was messing up or you're effing up, Lenny, you're effing up. I have one of my um, my academic uh, counselors, uh, Mr. Agins. He basically told me I was going to fail out if I didn't if I didn't tighten up and he didn't really mean that I was going to fail out but the trajectory I was going I was and he made it his business for me to check in with him every week just to monitor and see how I was doing so was my EOF counselors I had and I too was on academic warning and um, I know the struggle so I often would give them hope and light but it came after discipline I had to meet with so many different counselors. I had to meet with two EOF counselors, one whom I'm still talking to today. She's a wonderful human being. So if you're listening to this, Miss Augusto, thank you so much. But I had two EOF counselors. I had two student support services counselors that I had to check in with weekly. I had two tutors for English. I had one tutor for math. And I would go in to see my professor's office hours when I was on academic warning and academic probation. And uh, because I did terribly one semester. So I know what it is. And I know the level of hard work. But sometimes these students, they would come in and they wouldn't give you the hard work or they wouldn't show you that they're actually making an effort and I as an administrator had to kind of parse out who can I give this talk to who can I 
be candid with and tell them that they are messing up and they need to correct themselves. And there are many students of color who had the same situation. Like, for example, I had one young lady, she was in my office and we were going over her financial aid package and she had a balance of $6,000 and she had to call her mother and her mother put that money on her credit card and I looked at her and I said, your mother just did something that I know some of my friends' parents could not do or they would not do. I had friends, parents who would not give them their W-2s in order to to file for financial aid. So I know all too well that the sacrifice that parents are making, especially African-American parents and those of color and even white parents because Lord knows in America we are a stone throw away from all being in the breadline, especially with COVID. But I uh, wanted to highlight that when her mother uh, made the sacrifice of this money that she put down on her credit card, I just wanted to let her know that wherever her mother's interest rates are, whether it's between 13 to 24%, that she is going to have a hard time paying us off. Or it may or may not, but it's a sacrifice that I want her to acknowledge and all my students to acknowledge that you can't afford to mess up. And so I go on to tell you that I want to tell you that life is not fair. I want to tell you that many people don't care. And so, and it's true, when you see number of the same faces, people become callous, and you become a number, almost a statistic, and you see that almost in like the criminal justice system, if if a judge sees predominantly African-American male faces, he's not going to be, he's not going to give leniency or clemency to one, and he's not going to afford the same thing to, to everyone else. Unless you give them something to work with. And there was a saying in college, which um, it holds true. I often say you you can't be poor and stupid. You can be rich and stupid. you can't be poor and stupid you have to balance it out so when I whenever I was in college and I tried to do my best I realized when I was on academic warning being broke and being poor is not in your favor especially when you have bad grades when you have good grades and you're poor everyone will want to help you the grants would be there hell even the loans would be there But you can't have both. You can't be poor and stupid. Not here in this place. Or any place. You're just a bad bet. And so I go on to say. 
many of us won't make it here. That the system will swallow you if you aren't prepared. But who am I to reveal this harsh reality? So I go on to say that, you know, these institutions, it's a business. So is the criminal justice system, it's a business. The college, universities, and academic institutions are a business. We don't like to look at it, but they sling degrees like drug dealers on the corner. And they all vie to let you know that whoever has the best product. It's a business, it's a hustle. And if you go into this program or this university or any university thinking that you're going to find yourself, you are in for a treat. You are in for a treat because the more longer that you stay in there, the more money and the more debt you incur. And many of the students, they come out with degrees that they never really intended on having, degrees that there's no really no real monetary return. These are the things that we talk about. Um, before, in the 80s and the 90s, you could have had a degree in paper mache and could have came out making seventy, eighty thousand dollars but the seventy, eighty thousand dollars after, say, two thousand eight became forty, fifty, if you're lucky, and then now, fast forward to twenty twenty, the forty and the fifty is more like thirty two, thirty five, unless you have something, a degree of of worth or merit, something like an engineering degree, if you didn't incur too much debt or a lot of people went on to get their advanced degrees or law school or their doctorate, their masters, so to speak. But there's ways around it. So I go on to say, but who am I to reveal this harsh reality? If you are destined to fly, I do not want to be a gravity. I don't want to be a ground. If everything around you is ocean, surely you will drown. So, a lot of times for African-American students and for students in general, you want them to fly. You want them to still have that light or that glow and to go out there and challenge things. But you just want to do, have them have a little bit of, of responsibility, a little bit of, of substance, some submit if you will you can't just be all you know sides and macaroni and you have to have some substance with you and so these conversations and I'm sure that some of their parents may not have had these conversations so they go into into this into this academic institution or this this university and they they play around And, you know, sometimes that experimentation will breed some great results, but most times it's disastrous, financially disastrous, physically disastrous, mentally, 
for a student who has to drop out of college and rearrange their life. It's almost the gift and a curse. It's like you're putting all your chips into the, into one basket. You're putting all your chips in on this one bet. And you have to make this return count. If you don't make this return count, it would have been in your best interest to have just had a job and not incur the debt. And that's what the bargain is. And that's why I say it's a hustle. Because if you go in there playing and not knowing who to talk to or not being mentally prepared, you don't have the time to learn new things or to figure it out. Or you have to learn as you go. So these conversations, they need to be had with me as an administrator, looking at it day in and day out. I can't tell everyone these, this reality, or I don't, I don't think it's my place to share this reality, because I don't want it to seem that it's coming from a place that's disgenuine or hate or um, discouragement. conversation is necessary that we had and it wasn't it's not just the academic institution I think it's real conversations to be had I think we need to address this American dream and I say that in quotations because for many of us it's been a nightmare and we buy into it we buy into this rhetoric we buy into the dream we put everything into it I bought into the dream I'm still buying into it you know in my head I'm saying once this COVID is over once once I bust out of this I'm gonna hit the round running it's no take no prisoners I'm still looking for opportunities right now as we speak I'm in it to win it because this is the place where I need to play this place is going to burn down tomorrow I don't but we still have to play so that's duality duality is this balance that as an as an African American administrator you want to have these conversations and the burden that we often are placed in of having to to do things that's outside our scope or even being instructed to to do things outside our scopes because we are African-American or you might be Asian-American or a Latino or a Latina, you know, you are taxed for it. You know, that's kind of like the diversity higher. That's the reason we have you as a diversity hierarchy. We have you as a, a a director or an administrator or some something. We hired you in order to be relatable, in order to speak to students. But this is just an addition to the work that we already have. It's an interesting balance. And then if you overstep your line, if you overstep that line, you're often reprimanded or you can be terminated. 
So it's often a balance that you have to play. And I always talk about this dangerous balance. And that's why I named it duality, because there's a double conscious. You want to be, it's almost like Harriet Tubman with the pistol. I want to save your life, but if you don't do the things necessary, I'm going to leave you. I have to leave you. And that analogy is, is fairly accurate. I'm sure she wanted to, I'm sure there's people that she left, or I'm sure there's probably people that she probably had to shoot. <laughs> Those are the stories that she didn't have to talk about. But that's the reality. That I want to save your life. It's almost a drowning person. A drowning person have to, has to assist you in their survival. They can't flail. If they flail, there's instruction for you to punch them, to calm them down. If they try to take you under, there's instruction for you to leave them, to save yourself. If they don't cooperate with you and swim as you're swimming, float as you're folding, listening to your instructions, then they won't survive if they don't listen to it. And so that's the same thing with myself. When I was on academic morning, I did everything necessary to get out of that and then some. And then I ensured that it's never going to happen again. And those are the lessons that I take with me. But then I'll go on to another piece. This one is not in the book. This one is actually a draft. And so I hope you guys enjoy this one. This one is called Concentration Camp. The mental focus applied to do schoolwork is doubled. Outside where I lived was always trouble. Close friend dies. I cry with my face in a ditto. One day it might beat me. Ditto. My genius is absorbed looking at graffiti, wondering if my clothes colors are neutral enough, or am I that tough? My grade suffered, my thoughts muffled, again by gunshots. Nine millimeter this time. Why did I know that? It was around the block this time. I walk inside the house, kiss my mother. She asks me how was school. Just great. And that was called Concentration Camp. And when I made this piece, it was to describe and illustrate the things that students go to, go through when they are in school like I lost a lot of friends when I was in college but being away kind of helped but it didn't because when you hear the word back home you have to still deal with the baggage of it all and so the, the mental concentration that you have to deal with back home with the things back home whether an issue with the bills or 
something happened with your cousins, there's an altercation that happened, a spilled out, you might have lost a, a loved one or a friend, but you still have to do the schoolwork. Your life is still happening. And so for the African-American student, I understand that their work may have been terrible because of their outside situations. They may not have money for books. I had one student, she cried because she couldn't afford books. And I told her, this is, I understand. I was there. But this is something that you're going to have to deal with for your whole tenure. And her grandmother thanked me because she was like, yeah, you calmed her down. She, she, her grandmother actually called me her, her grandson. But I calmed her down and I said, this is something that we, I had to deal with. And many other students who look like you and me have to deal with. But you will make it and you will get through it. There's promise. I'm like, if you can't find the book, find someone that you can study with. Make copies of the book. See if you could find the book online for free. Or see if you can buy a used copy or a different version that may be a lot less cheaper than what it is now. So it's not necessarily the the lack of resources or lack of money it's just you need your resourcefulness you have to step your hustle up and that's reality and so I say the mental focus applied to do school work is double and so just to get the work done or just to show up for class sometimes maybe a trip or it's just a journey within itself outside where I lived was always trouble. That's pretty self-explanatory. Close friends' eyes cried with my face in a ditto. One day it might be me, ditto. So I know I told the audience in previous um, episodes that I was shot at um, and almost was a victim of gun violence. It it happens it's a reality so you can't separate yourself from the people you lost it's not something that you see on TV on a movie it can actually be you and um, some of the caution that I and the, re- the reservations I have in my personal life and the way I operate is directly correlated to the things that I've seen or the things that I've I, I experienced. So I often say one day it might be me, ditto. So it's just coming to grips with your reality that no day is promised. And then you're just living on borrowed time. My genius is absorbed looking at graffiti. So you want to know where you are, what position you're in. So you want to know if you're in a blood neighborhood, if you're in a crip neighborhood, folk neighborhood. It didn't matter where you are or Latin Kings. You just wanted to know where you are so you would often look at the graffiti on the walls or in the subways or anywhere that you need to see and identify and then saying 
I'm wondering if my clothes are neutral enough. So if you know that you're wearing a lot of blue and you're in a blood territory, that might be an issue, might not be, but it's things that you just have to pick up or vice versa. If you're in a crypt neighborhood and you're wearing red or red highlights or something that you may have to take into account, not always. And then I go on to say, or am I that tough? My grades suffered. So me understanding that these are the things that I have to figure out for myself. Thinking about a fist fight or someone coming up at the school for you at 3.15 and 2.45 to, to knock your head off. You're not focused on schoolwork. You're focused on whether I got to bob and weave or... Oh, they coming to jump you. I got to call my peoples. Um, that's a reality. My thoughts muffled. So you're not thinking about school. You're not thinking about your classroom. Again, by gunshots, nine millimeter this time. Why did I know that? So you, you can hear especially um, like it's June now so as 4th of July starts to come with the fireworks um, I noticed that I have um, mild PTSD I'm by no means I'm a a psychiatrist so I've diagnosed myself but I know that I do because around this time I, I was shot at it was almost it was July 3rd that I was shot at and um, the interesting thing is that I had the conversation with my cousins to say like listen you guys need to be easy because at this time of the year people settle scores and you can't tell the difference between a gunshot or a firecracker so when the ambulance come to scoop you up they could have came a lot later because they couldn't tell the difference It's amazing that I remember that and I still, still would have been a victim. <laughs> oh man, life. So, as a youth, I could distinguish um, caliber guns. Not all the time, not, not, it depends on proximity. If it's two to three blocks, Away, you can you can tell a nine millimeter. If it's not, if it's a, you can tell forty fives, thirty eights, twenty twos. Twenty twos sound like almost like a cap gun. Sometimes, if it's two to three blocks away, it doesn't. It sounds almost harmless, but you can tell because of the succession of the fire. No firecracker is going off. Pow, 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 pow. No firecracker is going off like that. The firecracker is going da, 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 da. and few and far between somebody shooting. No one's really shooting no silenced automatic weapon in the streets, but you'd be surprised. And so I go on to say it was around the block this time. I walk inside the house, kiss my mother. She asked me how was school. Just great. So as even a young man 
between high school and college. As your mom and your dad tries to shelter you from their environment, you shelter them from your environment. You shelter them with as much as little information of your day as possible because you don't want them to worry about the things that they could not control. Well, that was me. I never wanted to worry my mother because she was a worry ward. She still is a worry ward. Her, her brain goes to worst case scenario. For example, one time, my cousin, which is my best friend, Ryan, he gave me a knife to protect myself in high school. It was, we call it the, we call it Betty Flip or the Croc Dundee. And this knife was about the size of your palm in length. So it was way past the threshold of like like six inches or something like that, like the span of your hand. It was way past that. It was a huge knife, but it was dull. It was a dull knife. And he had given me this knife for protection. And I would keep it in my suit pocket, my jacket pocket or my blazer pocket. And she found it washing my blazer. Oh my gosh. She she grilled me. She said, What did I need it for? And I'm like, What do you think I need it for? And she was like, You need she's like, What do you have to go to school with a knife for? And I'm like, why else do I have to go to knife? But it was a big story. And she was just like so concerned. And she harped on it for like three weeks. Like I, and she she hit the knife. She I don't know up to this day I don't know what she did with the knife, but she she, she hit it. She told my father. And my father was like, "What do you need knives for?" And I'm like, "What do you think?" And he just said, "If you ever had a, if you ever get into an altercation, walk away." That didn't work. Shit didn't work. They gave you they give you old tools for a new generation. So I never really wanted to tell them how my day was because I just said, "Yeah, it's great. School was good." was fine because you just didn't want them to worry about it because their 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 existence is is predicated on your existence you know if I'm doing good if I can create this illusion for them because they have enough on their plate they're working 60 plus hours a week 70 plus hours a week to know that I'm getting into fist fights in school and a whole bunch of drama and that's not their business and it sounds selfish but that was where it was at a lot of the funerals I went to a quarter of them I went to by myself didn't tell them anything I just went I didn't want them to to feel like they didn't do enough or they're, they're, they're not doing enough because of the environment. Because I know that they they wanted the best for us.
that's the reality. Parents try to shelter their children as much as their children try to shelter them. Just even getting to college is just a it's a it's a triumph within itself. And so when you add concentration camp with duality, you can get a total picture picture of why some students may not be successful in college or or successful in high school as well too. Because they have to deal with the outside as much as they have to do deal with the actual coursework. So some students have a, a harsh time balancing the two. The ones who can balance the two realize that there's something that you have to sacrifice in order to be successful. sacrifice for me was um, drowning it out as much as possible so I remember in college at one point in time that I never wanted anyone to associate myself growing up in Newark so I made up I didn't want to be judged by it I didn't I didn't want to associate myself with that I mean it gave me everything that I learned but it's almost like a, an animal that eats its children growing up in an urban environment. It's, it gives you everything that you need, but if you stay too close, you're, you're a victim of it. So I knew that in order for me to, to learn academia and to learn to learn the, the language of and speak the language of a successful American, I had to get rid of some things that I learned. And uh, I wasn't perfect at it. I wasn't, I wasn't perfect at, at it. I was very rough around the edges my freshman and sophomore year. But um, I tried my best and I was able to transition and so for the students that I see who are not as successful is because they hang on to the things that no longer serve them in college. Um, no, it will no longer serve them in college because they're still hanging on to certain street mentalities. serve you in the professional world as well you can't just punch somebody in the face when you have a disagreement which is customary where I'm from so there's certain things that you have to you have to give up you have to trade off you have to learn unlearn some of the things that worked 
where you're from and still work today may not work where you're going and vice versa. So you have to know when to turn it on and turn it off and to navigate two spaces. And that's what W.E.B. Du Bois means when you're living a double consciousness. You have to traverse both worlds seamlessly in order to be successful while your white counterparts only have one world. They, don't, they need not know your world. There, there's no reason to. They, will, they can live their lives never having to associate themselves with anyone of color. They can choose to do that. Black people can't. They, we don't have the luxury to, to associate ourselves only amongst our own. We, we have to have some communication with other people from other races. That's just the reality of it all. And now that we do not have an economic platform that makes it even more strenuous on our engagement with other people from other races because it's based on our survival. So I give you guys two pieces, duality that's a part of the book and concentration camp which is a draft that is not a part of the book, but it gives you both sides of a coin. So I'm not just giving you one side and blaming it. I want to. I want you to understand that there's a reason for why black men aren't successful or black women aren't successful in certain rules. And, and I'm fortunate enough to see it, understand it, discuss it and tell the audience that I'm fortunate because I understand that college anyone can do college anyone can can pass university as they say and you know my British brothers and sisters you know they say you know anyone can go to university anyone can pass it but you have to de- dedicate yourself for four years and block out as many of the outside interferences as you can and if you're lucky to have the money in order to do that as well as to have the mental discipline you will be successful not everyone have that opportunity and have the finances and have that time because their time is slowly pulled in in different directions you might have a sibling that you have to take care of that you know you always took care of in high school but as you go off to college your mother may not want you to be or may not want you to have a a uh, a residential experience or i.e. they call it a dorm they may not want you to have that or if you do have that residential experience it's cut short because of finances or it's cut short because you have to go home every weekend or every three days which takes a toll on your development. It truncates your development very much so. But these are all things to ponder. I thank you all for listening. This is Cotton in a Rocket Ship. Peace.